guys can have a seat. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Nicholas, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here on staff, and I'm excited to share with you this morning as we continue our series, The King is Coming, and as we prepare our hearts for Christmas. Uh, but before we do that, if you're anything like me, this week has been a week full of sick kids, and uh, especially the last couple of days, it's been brutal, and so I know there's a lot of kids um, in the school system, in our area, in our town, community that are just struggling with influenza and things like that, and I know it's not just children, but just across the board, a lot of sickness. So before we begin the message today, can we just take a moment and pray for all those watching online, at home, not feeling well this morning? Can you join me, Father? We just come to you today and ask for healing in the bodies of our children, for the fevers to break, for their lungs to clear up, for this to pass quickly, Lord, for this season of celebration and joy and excitement and presence and Christmas um, concerts and all of these things, Lord, and to be homesick is a bummer. And so, Lord, we just ask for your healing. Lord, I ask for your um, peace and your patience for all the parents that are caring for the kids, all the single parents, too, who are trying to hold it all together. Just pray that you'd be with them now. Comfort them. Give them strength, clarity of mind, and that they would know your nearness God, even in the, in the sickness and the crying and the sleepless nights. So we thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. <clears throat> Amen. Yeah, it's been a doozy. <laughs> well, uh, this one before we hop in, I wanted to say something about <clears throat> the Vikings. But I'm not going to do that because the last time I did from this stage, they played the Cowboys, and the Vikings <laughs> suffered their second worst loss in, in franchise history. And so I'm not really much of like into superstition, but this is me not saying anything about the Lions game later on today. <laughs> so <laughs> just when you feel confident, you say something, and it's like that's why you don't say something. So lots of humble pie that day. They lost 40 to 3, and I was just like, I am so embarrassed. So church, I apologize. I apologize. <laughs> Please forgive me. So this morning we're going to continue our Advent series and um, today we're going to look at the life and the posture, the example of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And uh, as we do that today, I want to just kind of pause for a moment. Consider right now as you sit, as you get ready to listen to preferably a 35-minute message, no longer than 45 minutes, because we've got to sing three songs and kind of get on with our day. But I want you to maybe pause for a moment and consider the posture of your heart as we approach the scripture today. How are you approaching scripture today? And as we approach this very familiar story that we've read many times, let's not just come to the word of God today for information. Let's come to the word of God today seeking transformation. Let's come with a curiosity today about your life, where you are at right now, your season, your, your, what you are going through, where you are at in life, and come with some curiosity and asking, Lord, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me today? So just take a moment now and examine your heart and your soul and your mind towards the Word of God. I just want to encourage you, in Hebrews 4.12, it says this about the Word of God as we approach the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is alive and it is active. It is sharper than any sword that has two edges. 
It cuts deep enough to separate soul from spirit. It can separate bones from joints. And this is the part. The Word of God, it judges the thoughts and the purposes of the heart. So this morning, instead of just approaching God's Word for for information, to gain some sort of knowledge, let's come seeking that transformation. So one more time, let's just pause here for a moment and Let's just pray one more time over this time because we, as we approach the word of God, let's just hold our hearts before the Lord and ask him to speak to us. So just one more time, let's pray. If you want to open your hands, maybe just a posture to receive. Father, we come to your word today with, with curiosity. We come to your word to get today seeking to know you better. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to speak to us. We invite you. We want to be changed. We want to be transformed from the inside. Holy Spirit, this morning we give you permission to judge the thoughts and the purposes of our hearts today. As we get ready for Christmas and all the busy craziness of schedules and life, we pause right now and ask you to speak to us, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I think um, probably safe to bet this morning that all of us love stories of great accomplishment. Stories of greatness. Stories of somebody who like completed some amazing feat, some task, something in life. Like this is what Netflix is made of, right? These stories of people who've done amazing things. And we love these stories. We love to get lost in them and We see what people do when our hearts say, like, wow, that is amazing. I mean, we admire athletes and what they're able to accomplish. We admire musicians and who are masters at their craft and whatever whatever the expertise might be. We admire people who achieve greatness, who accomplish something that is really impressive. We look at the end result, what they've been able to do, and we say, wow, that's pretty amazing. But there's also, with that achievement, there's usually this uh, behind-the-scenes story. There's a ton of things we don't see that has led up to this moment that we do see. And it's like, how did they get there? We saw what they accomplished, but how did they get there? And a lot of times, that's even more inspiring, right? Or even more impressive, like, wow, that was Amazing. Does anybody love, like, documentaries? Come on, like, show of hands. Anybody just get lost in some good documentaries? I do. I love them. Um, or even, like, short-form, like, investigative-type journaling um, where they, they do, like, deep dives into, like, the story, behind the story, behind the story, and they get into the details of what's all really going on, of what we see and how this person got there and all the things. Um, and we ask ourselves this question, like, what did it take to get there? What did it take to get there? I'm not ashamed to say that in the last nine months, I've uh, joined CrossFit. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Um, Joined CrossFit, and I just felt like a desire to just take fitness more seriously and things like that. So decided to join CrossFit. Uh, Doug Newby had invited me into that. And um, but what's interesting, I don't know if you've ever experienced this in life too, is like when you start something new, you realize there's this whole world that you did not even know existed until you have t- stepped foot into this world. You know what I mean? You realize, oh, this is a whole thing. 
this is a whole thing. There's YouTube channels about this stuff. Like, this is real. And I didn't even know any of this. These people, these athletes, I didn't even know who they were until I started doing um, some of the things. And one thing I found out is, like, in CrossFit, there are truly are amazing athletes. And as I begin to, like, do some of the training and some of the things that they do at a much lower <laughs> rep and a much lower weight, um, I'm beginning to find, like, wow. You, so, you know, you watch, like, the world, the games, and you see what they're able to accomplish and, and the greatness. You're like, that is amazing. But as, as I'm doing some of the work, you have a much more appreciation for, like, the process to get there. And I'm constantly blown away at the behind the scenes of these athletes. Um, the commitment level is insane. Like, I'm showing up, I think it's, like, at best, three days a week. And you realize, no, to be great in this, people are showing up, like, two, three times a day. And then you realize what they're choosing to eat and not eat, and that's where I tap out. Like, I'm done. You start touching with my diet, I'm not going any further. <laughs> Anybody work out so you can eat whatever you want? Come on, let's be honest. Anybody? Yes, that's where I'm at. <laughs> like, you start, you to cut out all that? Yeah, no, I, I still love, I'm not eating kale the rest of my life. I am sorry. But there's a small window of, like, their age, you know, plays a part in it where they can achieve certain things. There's just, there's, it's so crazy what people commit to really being great. And I just have really great, like, admiration. Like, wow, that's amazing. So there's some stories where, like, the behind the scenes of what's all going on kind of leaves you more impressed with the end result. But then there's also stories where people are portraying greatness, like they've accomplished something. And then you kind of find out behind the scenes, like, oh, they cheated. They're, they're frauds. Anybody know uh, who the liver king is? Anybody know who the liver king is? The liver king. The king is coming, not that one. <laughs> the liver king. Google it if you want to see. It's all over the news. TikTok. Yeah. Let me read what happened. So the liver king basically is this guy who portrays this level of greatness. Um, he has this huge following on TikTok. He's super ripped, kind of like Doug Newby. And he has this huge following and his physique is just amazing, and so he has a lot of wealth with that. So his fitness, so he's portraying this level of, like, greatness. Like, I've accomplished greatness. And um, he had a secret to all of this. And so here's what the article says. The self-proclaimed liver king, a muscular and often shirtless TikTok star named Brian Johnson, amassed millions of followers by promoting an ancestral diet. And this is really gross. So if you're grossed up by this, close your ears. A diet of beef brains bull testicles, and raw animal livers. Literally, this is what he built his whole thing on. This is why I am ripped, because this, I eat this. This is what he built like a following on. It's amazing, the world we live in. But recently, Johnson posted a different kind of viral video, an apology. Johnson admitted to taking anabolic steroids, something which he had repeatedly denied in the past. I lied. I misled a lot of people, Johnson said to the camera. Yes, I've done steroids. Yes, I'm on steroids. <laughs> a lot of people are like, no way. Really? Like, <laughs> we all kind of knew this. So here's someone who's portraying greatness in the area of wealth, followers, and fitness, and turns out that it's all built on a lie. So this whole idea of greatness is what I kind of want to lean into for a little bit. So what it takes to achieve greatness in this world is interesting because what might it, it might cost you more 
than you realize or more than you ever wanted to pay. And a lot of times to achieve greatness in the world, at some level, like, your integrity is going to be on the line. You might even have to begin to cheat to get there because other people are cheating or cutting corners to get there. Really, this pursuit of greatness could end up costing you your character, your integrity, your reputation, trust, maybe even your marriage, maybe even your kids. And then it begs the question, what have we truly even gained? And this is something that might be a little bit uncomfortable to talk about, maybe around the Christmas season, this whole idea of the pursuit of greatness. But I do think we need to talk about it, especially in church, because I do believe Jesus offers a different way. But this, also this pursuit of greatness as defined kind of by the world, I think has also crept into the followers of Jesus. It has become sort of polluted, even in the church, is that the people who claim to follow Jesus have embraced a different definition of greatness. And I want to ask this question this morning. Have we attached the truly great name of Jesus to a definition of great that he hasn't put his name on? In Matthew 18, in the Amplified Version, it says this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and set him before them and said, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, unless you repent, that is, change your inner self, your old way of thinking, live changed lives, and become like children, trusting, humble, and forgiving, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So are you like me today? Do you wrestle with this thought of what am I going to be great at? As I live my life, as I go through life, like what am I going to be great at? Maybe you're a little bit younger in this room and you're like career path, you're thinking career path, you're kind of planning out your life and there's this tension. Like what am I going to be great at? What's it going to be? What's my choice going to be? What am I going to pursue? What am I going to give my life to? Does anybody wrestle with that? Maybe you're a little bit more seasoned, you're a little bit older in this room and maybe it's been a kind of a wrestle and a tension. You kind of had your whole life and now you kind of find yourself maybe on the verge of like, retirement age, or maybe you are retired and you're still kind of wrestling with this idea of like, am I, am I even great at something? Did I achieve greatness? Or maybe it's like, maybe you're still like this pursuit of like, am I going to be great at something? I know there's this tension in me. There has been, kind of always has been this tension that I know just enough. I know just enough. I've seen just enough. I know there's, there's a football player, very popular as well, who seemingly in this pursuit of greatness has now seemingly like lost his marriage and there's been divorce and like, it's like there's never enough. Like you've achieved so many things in life and it's costing you so much. Like we see this tension, right? Of like, man, bro, is that worth it? Like, stop, you know? Like it's enough. So we know just enough, or I think I kind of do, it's like, okay, 
one, like, I, if I go after that hardcore, if I pursue that career, maybe it's money, maybe it's position, whatever it is to achieve greatness in that specific sport or that area of life, I kind of know enough to, like, it's going to cost me a relationship with my children. It's going to cost a deeper relationship with my spouse, with my wife. And so I know just enough where it's like, okay, I don't want to pay that cost to achieve that. So there's kind of this tension of like, well, then what do I, what do I pursue? Um, there's also this thing that you kind of come to grips with, like called intellect and talent that really can inhibit pursuits of what the world defines as greatness. Like I'm not smart enough, not talented enough. I don't have what it takes. Wasn't born with what it takes to achieve that. And so there's this wrestling. And I think we could end up in one of two places with this whole idea. I think the one is like, we think, you know what, yeah, maybe you're right, preacher. (laughs) Maybe you're right, but like, I think I've got what it takes. Like, I'm a little bit better than most. A little more talent, a little more intellect. I think I can, I think I can do it. So I'm going to give it my best shot. I'm going to keep trying in this pursuit of greatness. I'm going to kind of ignore the warnings as defined, this pursuit of greatness as defined by the world. Or you might be in this place where you kind of just end up giving up. You kind of just give up on this idea of greatness. And you're like, I'm just going to accept my place in life. I'm just going to kind of live where I'm at. It's okay. I've kind of come to grips with, I could never do that. So, like, why, why try? Why try? I don't look, think, talk, smile, work, sing, lead, mother or father as, like, good as them. So, like, why try? So has anybody ever had this sort of tension in life, this pursuit of greatness? And I want to transition right now, and I want to ask this question. What if there is a life of greatness that God invites us into? God invites us into Not a life of greatness that the world cons us into, but a life of greatness that God himself invites us into. What if there is a definition, an example of greatness that God blesses? And what if my encouragement to all of us today is that you can be great? You can be great. And this is encouraging. It's not contingent upon our abilities. It's not contingent upon our talent. It's not contingent upon our hustle, our intellect, our looks, our education. Rather, this whole invitation to greatness is really contingent upon one thing. And I kind of want to spend the rest of the message today looking at this, is contingent upon our second yes. This life of greatness is contingent upon your and my second yes. What do I mean by that? Stick with me. What do I mean by that? I believe our first yes is to Jesus as Savior. Do you believe that Jesus died for you? Do you believe that Jesus is your Savior? If your answer is yes, awesome. Congratulations. 
I believe you've given God then your first yes. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So our first yes is to Jesus as Savior, but our second yes, I believe, is to Jesus as Lord. Our second yes is to accept this invitation to follow him. Does that make sense? There's a difference. Our second yes is to follow Jesus. So the possibility for us to even be able to say yes in the first place with our first yes, it costs Jesus everything. God sent his son to die so that we could say yes to him. And the possibility of the second yes will cost us everything. Because greatness always comes at a cost. To achieve greatness in this world, it might cost you everything in the kingdom of God. But to experience greatness in the kingdom of God might cost you everything in this world. So my question today to you and to myself is, where do I want to be great? Do I want to be great in this world, or do I want to be great in the kingdom of God? And I also want to say, Merry Christmas. <laughs> I know it's a little bit heavy, it's a little bit tense, but I think it's important to talk about, and I really believe that Mary gives us a beautiful example of true greatness. So where do you want to be great? Have you wrestled with that question? I have. Has God won that wrestle yet? Al almost? <laughs> like, yeah, or are we still kind of playing this game? Like, kind of like, I want to, I kind of, yeah, you got my first yes. I don't know if you have fully my second yes, Lord. So I want to look at Mary. I don't want to make four observations about her life, her story. And I really believe it's God's invitation to all of us this morning into this life of, of greatness as defined by the kingdom of God. Because I think we would all agree that Mary is great. Mary is amazing. Come on, she carried, gave birth, and helped raise the Son of God. Like she has the story to top all stories at every party you've ever been at. Like, yeah, I got a 4.0 from Harvard. Oh, nice. I gave birth to the Son of God. Like, you can't top that. You can't top that. No way. <laughs> Let's have fun for just a moment, but think about Jesus growing up. And maybe it's kind of fresh because we have a two-month-old uh, daughter right now at home, so this is kind of fresh in my mind. But think about what this was like, giving birth to Jesus. Think about Jesus' like first smile as he's like looking at Mary's eyes. The first smile or how about when he skinned his knee from running outside and tripping on a rock, coming running in. Mom, my knee, it's bleeding. And she cleans it up, bandages it. Or how about his first tooth coming through? Like it's real. It's real life. 
where I was thinking, and this is a terrible joke. It's like the dad joke, but like he loses his two front teeth. And instead of saying all I want for Christmas, he says all I want for my birthday is my two front teeth. <laughs> yeah, bad joke. That's for all my kids. <laughs> Jesus growing into becoming a young man, even like his, his voice changing and stuff. I just, I think it's good to kind of just ponder some of that stuff, not get caught up in just this, but like really think about, meditate on, this is like real life. This is real, a real human so I think we agree, Mary is great. This assignment, this plan, this tap on the shoulder from God is amazing. So as we approach our story today, though, what we read, what Pam read in the scripture reading was kind of like the moment of greatness, where it came, where the time came for Jesus to be born. But what I want to do is I want to go back a few verses, behind the scenes, so to speak. I want to look at how do we get to this moment of greatness where the Son of God was birthed. How did we get there, and what was Mary's posture? Excuse me. So how do we get to this place? So let's go behind the scenes. So let's look a few verses back. We're going to start Luke 1, 26. We're going to read through 38. So in the sixth month, and there's so much here. We could spend a whole year, I think, on this whole passage. But in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So here we are. It's Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting might this be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month, or in six months, for no word from God shall ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So, four observations. And then we're going to worship Jesus this morning. But lean in. Here we go. This life of greatness that God invites you. The first observation I have is this. When the angel comes to Mary, we see this. We see that God is pleased with you. God delights in you before he asks you to do anything great for him. This might be my life message. I, I think that this thing is hitting me hard in the last couple of years. Before God asks you to do anything for him, first things first, he's pleased with you. You are favored, and he delights in you. The angel doesn't come to Mary and say, do you want to be great? Here's what you got to do. Are you in? Are you in? Come on. Want to be great? Here's what you got to do. No. First things first. I love you. You are favored. I delight in you. I am pleased with you. Do you want to be part of my plan? It's completely different, and this is so 
So important. Before the instruction, before the plan, before the invitation, before any of the doing, God is pleased with me. His favor is on me, and he is delighted in me, and it is the same for you. We are never working for his approval, trying to earn favor, trying to earn greatness. We are to work from a place of being delighted in already. The best way I can like describe this is with my daughter Gemma. She's two months old, and we have a picture. I think they're going to throw up. Yeah, okay. Let's just look at this for a while. <laughs> I just really can't get enough, but I delight in all of my children, but the reason I picked this picture is because she's our youngest, and she literally can do nothing for us except bring us the light. We literally have to do everything, my, my wife literally has to do everything for her. I try my best to help. <clears throat> but women are the heroes. Amen? Yes. She just brings us delight. She brings me delight. And she can do nothing for me. It may sound simple, but I think it's, I think it's really, truly profound. Because that God delights in you before you do anything for him. So, have you given God your first yes? Have you said yes to him as Savior? If so, you are God's son. You are God's daughter by new birth. Therefore, he is delighted in you. This, this is good news. <laughs> this is good news. It helps my soul rest. What's really interesting is that we see the same thing happen with Jesus, like 20-some chapters later, is when he's, before he does anything for God, before he carries out, he hasn't started his ministry yet. This is like the initiation of his ministry. Here's what happens. Before he does anything for God to carry out the plan, here's what happens first. In Matthew 3, 16 through 17, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open. Jesus saw the Spirit of God coming down on him like a dove. A voice from heaven said, This is my Son. I love him. I'm very pleased with him. Church, it's one thing to know this intellectually, just in our minds, to agree with this. But it is so vitally important that we know this from experience. We know this experientially here that God is pleased. And God had to teach me this lesson in a really painful way. A really painful way. And I, I'm just wondering today, like, do you know this? Do you know this in your heart? God had to teach me this lesson, like, a couple years ago. God really, like, aggressively, I, wanna, I don't want to say forced, but he aggressively invited me to stop doing. To stop trying to make everything great I was working here hard trying to make this church great. I was working hard on things online trying to make things great. We had planted a campus in Fargo trying to make things great, trying to like make God great, trying to do great things for God. Another church in Alexandria planted a whole other church and like just going, 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 trying to do great things for God. I was burning out hardcore. 
My spirit was dry. I was not at a good place. It was actually really dangerous. I was working so hard, trying to make God proud. And even though up here I would say, oh, no, like I know God loves me, but like in here there's this subtle, I'm earning this thing. God must really kind of like me. And because of all this, there's this special favor. Yeah, like it got really weird. Got really messed up. And I just remember God asking me to stop. And it took me about nine months of laying down and stopping all work for him before finally starting to maybe begin to believe that I never do anything again for God. He's pleased with me. In all of your doing, church, in all of our busyness, you truly believe that if it all stopped today, if all of the doing stopped today, that nothing changes in your relationship with him or his approval of you. Because if not, if we don't believe this, and we're at a dangerous place of making things happen instead of letting them happen. So number two, my observation is this, that God's plan is always impossible without him. It's built in that way. God's invitation to greatness, his invitation, his plan for your life is impossible without him. When God invites us to follow, it is going to be dependent on him seeing it through. I love this. God gives this huge grand plan to Mary, right? This huge plan to save humanity. And isn't Mary's response perfect? Luke 1, verse 34. Um, how can this happen? Mary asked the angel, I'm a virgin. Uh, this isn't possible, Lord. Because God's plan for your life, this invitation into greatness, is going to confront your insecurity. It's going to confront your abilities, your inabilities. It will expose your weakness, and it will most likely seem impossible. And that is the point. Because going later on, it says in verse 35, it says, The angel answered her that with this, The Holy Spirit will come to you, and the power of the Most High God will cover you so that the Holy One that is born will be called the Son of God. I think this is really important. Think about your life. Do you want your life to be the plans of God? <clears throat> or do you want your life to just be like the plans of man? Do you want to accept this invitation into the plan of God that is only possible with him? and truly impossible without him. A third observation is this, is that this invitation to participate in this plan is really a, an invitation to participate in what he is already doing. When the angel comes, she gives, he gives Mary the plan. We are not inviting God into our plans. He is inviting us into his. And there is a difference. It is not, Lord, here's my plans. I just want you to come be a part of them. I got this thing figured out. Please sprinkle your favor dust over it. Do what you can do. Make it a little bit better than what I can do, and you'll get all the glory, Lord. That's not how it works following Jesus. Think about Mary and Joseph. They had plans to get married raise a family, live life. This was a holy interruption, a change of plans. 
to lay down what they had planned. And it looked like it was going to kind of mess it up. What? This mess, what are people going to think? This kind of messes up everything. They had to lay that down, their plans down for what they thought was going to happen and choose to trust his plan. Are you inviting God into your plans or do you accept the invitation into his plans? Have I? Just invited God into my plans, or have I accepted his invitation into his plans? My last point is this, my last observation from this text, this true invitation into greatness, is that it is contingent upon, and then Mary does give God her second yes. The worship team can come on up and get ready. But in Luke 138, here's Mary's response. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Isn't that beautiful? Rich Falotas, um, he's a pastor in New York. <clears throat> he had this observation about Mary, and I want to share, share it with you guys. So, like, you know, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's, like, types and shadows of like what's to come. So like we see characters and stories in the Old Testament and they're types and shadows of like the new thing that's to come. Like if you don't know this about the Bible, it makes reading the Bible like really exciting. Like you can get lost and nerd out in this stuff. It's amazing how God weaves it all together. It's beautiful. So his observation is this, is that Mary is now the new Eve. And in her trust... Mary now offers a new way of being. For Eve in the garden said, let me have it. I want to be like God. But Mary says, let it be. Eve came from Adam, but the new Adam, who is Jesus, came from the new Eve. So Mary's act of faith is not what redeems humanity. But her obedience is what made space for the Messiah to be born into this world. And guess what? That Messiah was born into this world. And like I paralleled earlier about the favor of God, how God's saying to Jesus, I'm pleased with you before you do anything. There's also this parallel that I see with Jesus having to also give his second yes to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Luke twenty-two forty-two, we see Jesus wrestling with, am I going to go through with this plan? This invitation? This plan that God has? And Jesus gives his second yes. He said, Father, if you are willing, if there is another way, please take this cup of suffering away from me. But here is my second yes. Do what you want, not what I want. Isn't that beautiful? And that act of obedience is what saves humanity. And I want to ask this question, what might God be inviting you into this season, this Christmas season? As we make room for the king, have you given God your second yes? Or are you still holding on to this idea of greatness? Are you still holding on to your plans? Are you in this wrestle, this tension to, 
I'm gonna let I'm gonna let go of that and I'm gonna accept fully this plan that God has. I believe for all of us today, God's invitation to you is to join him in his plan for your life, his plan for this world. And what might God want to birth in you this Christmas through intimacy with the Holy Spirit that he wants for you to carry and ultimately birth into this world for his kingdom? Do you believe Jesus is Savior? Maybe your answer today is yes. And if it's not yes, today you can say yes to Jesus as Savior and your eternity can be secure. And we invite you to do that today. We're gonna pray that in just a moment. But I also want to ask this other question. Do you want to give your second yes to him today? It's risky. Oh, it might cost you everything. It is mm, scary. It's full of faith. How is this gonna work out? sure, but there's just enough of a compelling to say yes to his plans. Have you wrestled with this? Have you contemplated this, pondered these things in your heart like Mary did? I want you to, um, and I'm going to take this time too of worship and just give God hopefully more fully my second yes to surrender to him my plans, my ideas, my thoughts about life. Because I think, I think the second yes is also a third yes, a fourth yes, a fifth yes. A, you know what I mean? Like, it be, it's, I think it's my thousandth yes. Like, it's such a journey of trust in the Lord and his plans for your life. Um, today, I feel like God's just inviting us to go another step further. Do you want to live a great life? Do you want to be great in the kingdom of God? He's inviting us. So let's pray. You guys want to stand? Let's pray and then we're going to worship. Lord, um, right now, I just come before you like I have many times before. But today, there's just a new sense of curiosity into what you might have for my life, what you might have for all of us. Father, help us surrender. Help us give our full yes, our second yes to you. That our life could be used for your glory and your kingdom while we are alive here on this earth. As we worship you, King Jesus, and we seat you on that throne that you so rightly belong on, I pray that you'd be King and Lord of our hearts as well. And then this Christmas season might even just be a little bit different because we're contemplating this invitation to truly follow you wherever you lead. So, Lord, we give you this time now. Holy Spirit, this space now, we worship you. It's in his name we pray. Amen.